WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Here's hoping you are having a fantastic weekend. Thanks for joining us here for Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. And by the way, most importantly, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. We are less than a year out from the 2022 Senate primary here in North Carolina. Senator Richard Burr retiring and folks are lining up to replace him. Promises to be a contentious, costly campaign on the Republican side. And, and this is not an exhaustive, exhaustive list, but it's some of the people. Congressman Ted Budd, former North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory, Congressman Mark Walker, all vying for the seat. Over on the Democratic side, again, not an exhaustive list, but some of the names you know, big names. Uh, North Carolina Supreme Court Justice, former uh, Justice Sherry Beasley, State Senators Jeff Jackson and Erica Smith as well. Joining us to talk about that and other issues is Catawba College political uh, science professor, Dr. Michael Bitzer. Professor, thank you as always. We appreciate it. My pleasure to be with you. All right. As a person who studies this stuff for a living, uh, size up this 2022 Senate race now less than a year out. Um, this thing is, I mean, granted, North Carolina is known for barn burner Senate races, but this is going to likely top all of those. I, I think once again, North Carolina will not only be in the center spotlight, but it could be the potential key race yet again to determine who controls the U.S. Senate, and more importantly, who might have some cushion in terms of additional seats beyond 50. You know, North Carolina Senate races in the past few election cycles, going back to the Hagan-Tillis race, have been among the most expensive races in U.S. history. And I would think that this 2022 uh, cycle will top that yet again. Both sides are really battling for the soul of their parties. Both the Democrats and the Republicans are going to see intra-party fights about what the party stands for and who is important in that coalition for each respective side, because North Carolina is so evenly divided. It's not necessarily about persuading a mass group in the middle. It's more about energizing and mobilizing your supporters to get them out to the polls. Uh, I introduced some of the uh, people who said they are running. In fact, we know it could be a much wider field. I want to get your reaction and just a couple of lines on, on each of these people. Um, we'll start with the Republicans first. Uh, Congressman Ted Budd, g give me your just thoughts. I think certainly he, along with Mark Walker, are the two Trump-aligned candidates. And I think both of them are going to be vying for that crucial endorsement. The real question is, will Donald Trump interfere or engage in this particular primary, or will he kind of step back and let the fight play itself out? He has some beef in this particular race because Richard Burr voted to convict him in terms of impeachment. So that critical component, along with the Trump base within the Republican Party, which it is now the Trump Party, is very much crucial. Bud is going after that. Walker is also going after that. So it'll be interesting to see how the two kind of fight out amongst themselves. And then where does that leave Pat McCrory, of course, far, former Charlotte <clears throat> mayor, former governor of the state of North Carolina? Uh, how does he craft himself going into a campaign knowing that he's got those folks on the right of him and then once he gets to the primary, he, he, he's got some progressive folks on the left of him. 
Yeah, certainly he is kind of positioning himself perhaps within the Trump lane, but outside of the fight between potentially Bud and Walker. He has positioned himself as a conservative. That's going to play well to the Republican primary base. He has run statewide. That is also a very key advantage in terms of the fundamentals of winning a primary nomination. But again, this party is so loyal to Donald Trump. What price will he pay, Pat McCrory pay, to garner that kind of endorsement if that becomes the true litmus test for Republican primary voters? How about former uh, Supreme Court Justice Beasley? How, how would you size up her, her uh, candidacy? Again, like uh, former Governor McCrory, uh, former Chief Justice Beasley has the statewide name recognition. So if you're looking at purely the fundamentals, that gives somebody the advantage. The other key thing, as the Republicans are debating Trumpism within their party, I think Democrats are going to have to debate how far do they go in terms of their new coalition of progressive, much more liberal stances versus the historic nature of North Carolina Democrats to nominate moderates in the middle. Now, Sheree Beasley could be the person that occupies that middle ground and also brings the factor of being an African-American woman. I think the Stacey Abrams effect is very much still in play in national Democratic Party politics. That could be a true test of her candidacy uh, come next year. And the same could be say, said about Erica Smith. Uh, so where does that leave someone like Jeff Jackson? I mean, if we're, we're being honest, it's, it's, a, it's another white guy who has a military background and, and is a, a progressive, but I mean, very similar to what we saw uh, last year with Cal Cunningham, who I think most would argue is a more moderate um, when it comes to, to Democrat circles. Can Jeff Jackson, who is by all accounts a rising star in the Democratic Party in mm -hmm. North Carolina, can he overcome some of those issues? What's interesting and fascinating to me is that a white male is much more the progressive candidate and an African-American female is much more kind of in the middle, the moderate stream. And this race is really going to play out those two dynamics, I think, very nicely. For Jeff Jackson, yes, it's all about the name recognition. It's about his social media. But more importantly, he has to branch out statewide. And I think that that could be the potential hurdle that that he has to overcome to capture what Beasley already has locked into her candidacy. Certainly, Erica Smith is probably the most left-leaning candidate, but her performance uh, in 2020 was probably not what one would expect, and that may push things off to the side. So if nobody else big name gets into the race, I think it is going to be the tension between Beasley and Jackson. Last question on the Senate race. Laura Trump, does she get in? I, I think that's what everybody is waiting for. I think the, the conventional wisdom now that I'm reading and hearing is that she won't. But conventional wisdom has not proven very effective over the past six, seven, eight years. You know, the whole pressure, I think, is really from her father-in-law. Does Donald Trump get engaged, get involved, and does he encourage her to make that leap into the race? If he does and if she does decide to declare her candidacy, I think she skyrockets up to frontier status in terms of the, the uh, Republican nomination. And it's going to be a real battle to try and out-Trump a Trump. 
It is, and just trying to get yourself out there in such a crowded field. And we've had contentious Senate races, but the primaries this year are just going to be bonkers as far as the numbers of people out there. Uh, let's talk about the census uh, quickly. North Carolina's booming population has earned us now a 14th seat in Congress. The gain comes after the Census Bureau released its preliminary 2020 census results last month. The Tar Heel State growing last decade has been concentrated mainly in Wake and Mecklenburg counties. We'll have to wait until official data is released in September to know uh, how North Carolina uh, shapes up. But it, we do know it's, it's one of six states, uh, only six states to gain a seat. Um, this is good news. Right now, what we have three Republicans, 10, uh, three Democrats, 10 Republicans when it comes to our congressional delegation, having one more person, what does that really mean for us? Actually, it's an eight to five congressional split between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, the likelihood is that 14th seat, which is the most that the state has ever had, will likely be drawn to favor Republicans. But the big question is the process of redistricting, and that will have to wait until the fall when the numbers come out. But Republicans control the General Assembly. They will determine where that seat goes, and it is likely to be another Republican pickup seat for them going into the crucial 2022 midterms. Once you put politics aside, though, I think what people at home can take, we will have a, another voice in Washington, which is a good thing. It's a good thing, and it's also another electoral vote for the presidency. So we will increase our importance in that race to 270 for the White House. Ah, good point. Didn't even think about that. All right. Uh, more with the professor on the other side of this break. Download the WCNC Charlotte News app and find out why WCNC.com is the number one choice for local TV news on your phone and in your home. Welcome back to Flashpoint. There is a storm brewing inside the Republican Washington, uh, Party in Washington. And you know what's honestly nationwide. It all surrounds this woman right here, Congresswoman Liz Cheney. This week, it's expected she'll be removed from her leadership post. According to Politico, North Carolina Congresswoman Virginia Fox will be the one to formally introduce the resolution to remove her. For months, Liz Cheney has said that last year's election was not stolen and that the president incited a riot at the Capitol to try and stop the election results from being certified. She's one of the only Republicans, though, saying this, and the other Republicans want her to pay for it. By all accounts, though, Liz Cheney is a conservative's conservative, um, no matter how you size the things up. Professor Michael Bitzer joined us once again from Catawba College. Um, at, at this point, can, can you be in the Republican Party, at least on a national level, if, say, you don't like former President Trump? I mean, because, you know, there are a lot of Democrats out there who say, eh, <laughs> Joe Biden was not my pick and I'm not the biggest fan of his. Um, and probably same people who say that about George W. Bush and all of our presidents. But it seems like now there is a litmus test in the Republican Party that if, if you're not a big fan of President Trump, then you don't belong. It is indeed the Republican Party of Donald Trump. I mean, what we have seen it play out is really in the way that I describe political parties to my students. You have to think about a political party as in an organization, the North Carolina Republican Party, local Mecklenburg County Republican Party, those have been solidified behind Donald Trump. You've got the party in the electorate and most importantly, Republican Party voters. They are intensely 
loyal to Donald Trump. And then you have the party in government, the elected officials, the Liz Cheney's, the Tom Tillis's. Those folks have to make the determination if two of those three uh, legs of the Republican Party are firmly in Donald Trump's camp, they have to be as well. And I think Liz Cheney's op-ed that talked about there is a determinative choice within the Republican Party, that choice has already been made. That decision has already been made. It is the party of Donald Trump, and she is paying the consequences for it. I mean, Republicans have railed against cancel culture and, and you know, political correctness, and, and one can understand why, because it come, can get out of control. But it seems like me, they, they are canceling one of their leaders, um, not for anything substantive. I, I, I mean, it's just for... for um, some would say just ego of the former president. Uh, I had the dis discussion with somebody on Twitter the other day, and tell me if I'm wrong, because I called Liz Cheney a staunch conservative. In my mind, she is, checks all the boxes of a conservative that you would ever want a conservative be, to be. Is she not a conservative, or has that definition now changed? If you take the principles of Ronald Reagan conservatism, strong national defense, limited federal government, low taxes, Liz Cheney is the prototypical standard Republican Reagan conservative. What we have seen conservatism morph into and change is this uh, first and foremost personality-driven dynamic of Donald Trump and then everything that Donald Trump says becomes the party or the ideological perspective. Note that the Republican Party did not choose to update their platform, but basically said in 2020, whatever Donald Trump believes, the Republican Party believes. That is not a coherent ideological perspective that American politics have fundamentally been based upon. So I would argue you are correct. Liz Cheney is a conservative, but she's a conservative in the old fashion, not necessarily in the Trump uh, fashion of today's politics. And listen, I, I enjoy politics, which is why I, I host the show. But you're the historian who knows the history of this stuff. I mean, is the is America is not based on that constant push and pull between real conservatives and real Democrats, um, real conservatives, real progressives, and, and that push and pull? If historically speaking, do we have a time of where we've not had these two sides to sort of right the ship between um, between each other and sort of chart a, a path for the country? I mean, the fundamental dynamic that I always talk about in my classes is the, the inherent tension between individualism and the collective good, and particularly about the role of government. Do you want government involved or do you want government to stay out on a multitude of issues? What we're basically boiling down to is a party that is defined by uh, principles along with policies and a party that has become defined as the party of opposition purely and inherently to anything that the opposition is 
is advancing. So you listen to somebody like Mitch McConnell in recent comments say, we're basically 100% opposed to anything that Joe Biden does. There's no real standard of belief system inherent nowadays. People like Liz Cheney are trying to promote ideals and principles, but it has just been subsumed by this personality-driven dynamic that is very much apparent within the Republican Party nowadays. Which to me, I, I would think that perhaps one of the most um, conservative ideas you can have would be effective government. Um, because you don't want government waste. <laughs> you, you don't want mm -hmm. bloated government, you, but you still want effective government because you can understand its importance and, and letting people um, sort of, you know, take it and run with it. Um, and if you don't have a government that's functional, um, then, then you wonder if that's really a conservative thing necessarily. I, I want to tie this all back to something in February. The North Carolina GOP voted to censure long-term Republican Senator Richard Burr after he voted to convict former President Donald Trump for inciting the riot at the U.S. Capitol. Not only that, but some local counties banned him from their headquarters. I had the, had the, had the state GOP on after that, and he said, you know what, we don't want to focus on that. We want to move forward, and, and I, I respect that. But here you are a month later, and the Republican Party's still very much having this conversation about whether or not you have to buy into Trumpism. I think this is the dynamic that I don't see any resolution to. This has pretty much been over the past five to six years since Donald Trump threw his hat into the Republican Party's politics, and it has become wildly supportive of the former president. You know, this, this dynamic will continue to play out. There will be other individuals who try to be the heir appearance to Trumpism, Ron DeSantis in Florida, perhaps Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina. But this, this approach to Republican Party politics is not going away anytime soon, as far as I can tell. I gotta wrap up. Is it sustainable though? That is the real question. And we will find out in 2022, 2024 in particularly. All right, Professor, thank you as always. We appreciate it. My pleasure. More Flashpoint after this. Tornadoes, the tropical storm, severe weather is extreme weather, and we're here to keep you safe and to help you navigate your day. The First Warn team is there for you, no matter the conditions and the location. We're in your hand with the WCNC weather app, and we'll always be there on WCNC Charlotte. So wake up, plan your day and your life. The First Warn storm team will be there for you. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Tomorrow, a public hearing will take place regarding the city of Charlotte's budget. The $2.7 billion budget uh, does not include a tax increase, so that's good news, but it would raise a few bills that you pay. Your solid waste fee would rise about 61 cents a month. Your water bill increased by about 3.4%, costing you roughly about $2.30 extra a month. And your stormwater fee would increase by about 30 cents a month. So. It's not exactly um, free. <laughs> you will be paying more. The largest chunk of that money is going to go to CMPD. They would get a little more than $300 million. That's a 3.7% increase from the last budget. The city says no new officers are going to be added and that the money will go to things like salary increases, rent, and maintenance. You hear about terms of defunding the government. It looks like the city of Charlotte is doing exactly 
uh, the opposite when it comes to uh, the police department. Under the proposed city budget, the mayor and city council would be getting pretty big pay raises. The mayor would get uh, a 41 and a half percent pay raise, bringing her salary from 28,000 just to under 40,000 with compensation she'd get just under 60,000. City council members would go from making $21,500 to $32,500. With compensation, they would get more than $52,000. We should say, though, that, that brings them more on par with cities of, uh, of Charlotte's size. Affordable housing is still a top priority here in the city. City staff would like to once again ask residents to pass another $50 million bond for affordable housing in 2022. The city manager, Marcus Jones, calls this budget proof that Charlotte is recovering well after the shutdown last year. We were able to continue to work on those uh, very uh, visionary projects as well as keep our employees safe and maybe uh, just as important provide uh, exceptional core services to our community. So I'm proud of uh, what the council has done as well as what the team has been able to do in a very difficult uh, time. So you've got the, the public hearing tomorrow on, on Monday if you want to hear uh, be heard and then a final budget vote uh, is going to be on June 14th. Meanwhile, the pandemic completely altering our lives the past year and while we seem to be turning a corner, Mecklenburg County health officials say they're still going to be tackling the COVID-19 crisis for not just the next couple of months. Honestly, folks, for the next couple of years. Yes, years. WCNC Charlotte's Hunter Signs shows us why health officials say there's a lot more work to do. The county health director says three-fourths of her 900 staff members is currently responding to COVID-19, but that won't last long because a more permanent COVID-19 response team will be formed. Mecklenburg County's top health official says her staff plans to be responding to COVID for the next two to three years. We are not out of the woods yet. Cases are down, but fewer people are rolling up their sleeves to get vaccinated. At this point, um, the urgency is not there. People are like, I'll get it when I get around to it. Although Health Director Gibby Harris says this breakdown of inoculation by zip codes is made with three-week-old data, it still shows where they need to do better. But it seems like we would be able to move and shift a tremendous amount of resources into those high-priority mm -hmm. zip codes. Am I right on that? A absolutely. They will continue to hold more vaccine clinics in those underserved communities and are looking at wheeling out a van to serve as a pop-up shot spot. We want to make vaccine available where people already are. Action NC is also going door to door to encourage people to get vaccinated. The folks that need to be vaccinated, the messenger is more important than the message. Vaccines into arms is the end game, but that will take time and more resources. It's why commissioners approved Harris to hire 26 permanent workers to form a COVID response team. Reporting in Charlotte, Hunter Signs, WCNC Charlotte. More Flashpoint after this. We're really desperate. Local business owner Craig Ray applied for a government loan to keep his business going. But when his request got stalled, Craig contacted the defenders and asked, where's the money? I know that after you contacted them, things moved pretty fast. Just glad we could help you. If you're asking where's the money and feeling financial pressure, the WCNC Charlotte Defenders are here to help. Email us at thedefenders at WCNC.com. We're there to get you answers to where's the money, only on WCNC Charlotte. 
Welcome back to Flashpoint. Before we leave, we would like to say thanks again to Senator Tom Tillis for coming on last week and talking about a really, really important topic, um, prostate cancer and, and getting screened. Uh, we heard from a lot of you out there, including some familiar faces, reaching out and sharing what they thought was important about it as well. City Councilman Braxton Winston, County Commissioner Pat Cotham, City Planner Taiwo Jaioba. Uh, men in the audience, get your screenings. Ladies, if you're a man, it's not always very proactive. <laughs> Help make sure he gets his screening as well. Of course, you can always come interact with me on my Twitter and Facebook pages. If there's something you want us to cover, let us know. And a reminder, if you ever miss this show, we have got a podcast, folks, that you can listen to every single week. We'll see you back here next week. Have a great week, everybody.